Take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Hey! Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. CannabisRadio.com presents The Russ Belleville Show The voice of the marijuana nation Hey, this is great, man Now, here's your host Radical Russ Belleville Good day, tokers and tokettes and non-toking lovers of liberty. It is Tuesday, September 6, 2016, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you back from the Labor Day weekend as we head into fall. And we've got just 63 days away from Marijuana Election Night 2016. Legalization in five states, medical marijuana in four states. Marijuana license bans in 54 cities and counties throughout Oregon. Candidates for legislature in Washington and Montana. We've got it all. We'll be covering every bit of it starting at 3 p.m. Pacific, ending at 9 p.m. Pacific. Six hours of marijuana election night coverage coming to you live on CannabisRadio.com from the Prop 64 election party. And uh, we're getting all that organized uh, as we speak. So there's going to be a great great show we have got coverage of all of the uh polls as they close time zone by time zone we'll have correspondence in all of the of the uh, uh states that are voting at the election party so you'll get to hear the reaction from folks as we get the numbers live on election night i hope you'll join us we're gonna have all sorts of great guests and co-hosts and interviews and of course, all of the latest election results in every marijuana election across the United States. That's Tuesday, November 8th. We've been planning for it all this weekend, and it's been a lot of fun putting this together. But coming up on today's show, we've got a couple of great uh, interview guests to talk to today. Coming up at half past the hour, we're going to uh, get into a new segment we call Sensimia Science, and we're going to speak with University of Washington researcher Sam Mendez. His group came out with that research recently on kids and what attracts them to edible products. And the idea here was to find out what we can learn to get kids to avoid accidentally ingesting cannabis edibles. So we'll talk to uh, uh, Professor Mendez coming up at half past. At uh, 45 past, we will speak in our activist agenda with Ryan Denham from Arkansas Compassion. We're going to sort out what's going on with the two separate medical marijuana initiatives that have been approved for the ballot in Arkansas and the latest scandalous news of a normal legal committee lifetime member who is suing to get the better of the two amendments kicked off the ballot. We'll try to figure all that out toward the end of hour one. Also in hour one, we'll have some drug war data mining, new data coming out that are showing that middle-aged parents are more likely to smoke pot than their teen children. Uh, could have predicted this, but we'll take a look inside the data. Also in our cannabis focus, we've got that uh, data that talks about how Americans are less likely to perceive regular cannabis consumption as risky. I'll tell you why that makes perfect sense when we get to that behind the headlines. That comes right after the Cannabis Radio News. In our news headlines today, we've got uh, more on that uh, Arkansas medical marijuana lawsuit. We've got the American Legion endorsing medical marijuana. We've got grant information from the drug czar that was announced today. Nashville is still working on city decriminalization. And we've got another former NFL player who is endorsing medical cannabis use. That's all coming up 
right after this first break here in the Cannabis Radio News. Then make sure you stay tuned for Hour 2 in Toker Talk Radio. We'll go more into depth in the subjects of the day, including a look here at the state of Oregon, where a lack of testing labs is threatening not only our marijuana industry, but our clean water. We've also got a look at a study that claims being high ruins your short-term motivation. And we'll also talk about uh, the drug Kratom, which has just been declared an emergency Schedule 1 drug by the DEA. We'll tell you why, all coming up on the Russ Belville Show. Thanks for joining us. Be right back after we pay some bills. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Cannabis use isn't the only thing growing. So are we. Grow with us. CannabisRadio.com. Play as Ted Growing, expelled botany sophomore and the biggest grower in town, only on Weed Firm Replanted. Available on the App Store and Google Play. It's a lot of work being the biggest grower in town. Maintaining a room full of plants while dealing with a slew of eccentric customers, from a hardcore partier to the curious neighbor next door. Is anybody home? Help me expand my bud business by unlocking new strains, customizing my grow room, and completing challenges that you can't get enough of. Grow your empire so big you can see it from space. Low on funds? Don't worry. Weed Firm Replanted is free to download. Download Weed Firm Replanted for free on the App Store and Google Play today. Get growing, Mr. Growing. I'm Radical Russ from the Russ Belleville Show. Senator Mark Madsen of Utah. Mark, welcome to the show. Everybody kind of turns a blind eye. They obviously have to go to some other state. Representative Lou Fredericks. We're going to get something on the order of nonviolent possession offenses. State Representative Kathy Tilton. Where does it go for personal use and commercial use? It's the Russ Belleville Show, the NPR of POT, weekdays live at 6 Eastern, 3 Pacific, exclusively on CannabisRadio.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. You're going to find really wonderful, well-meaning, well-spoken people, and then people that are just batshit crazy. Okay, maybe you're high, too. The Russ Belleville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association and the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. It's time for the Cannabis Radio News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at CannabisRadio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Tuesday, September 6, 2016. 
Little Rock, Arkansas. The Arkansas Supreme Court was asked Friday to disqualify an effort to legalize medical marijuana over potentially invalid signatures, the second challenge filed against a ballot measure to make the drug available to some patients. Attorney Kara Banka of Little Rock questioned the validity of thousands of signatures that were submitted for the proposal allowing patients with certain medical conditions to buy marijuana. The measure is among two medical marijuana proposals on the November ballot. Benka, who didn't immediately return a message late Friday afternoon, claimed more than 15,000 signatures that were submitted for the proposal should be tossed out. Benka identifies herself in the lawsuit as a life member of the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws, which supports legalizing the drug. Her complaint includes claims that the group behind the measure did not follow reporting requirements for paid canvassers and that some petitions were left unattended for people to sign for the measure. Benka asked the court to prevent state officials from counting any votes for the measure in the November 8th election. Cincinnati, Ohio. The American Legion, the nation's largest military veterans organization, adopted a resolution at their 98th National Convention calling on the federal government to support medical marijuana. The organization resolved that the DEA should, quote, license privately funded medical marijuana production operations, end quote, for cannabis research, and that Congress should, quote, amend legislation to remove marijuana from Schedule 1, end quote. Marijuana.com reports that Dr. Sue Sisley, the first researcher to gain FDA approval for study of whole plant cannabis for vets suffering from post-traumatic stress, was instrumental in lobbying the American Legion to adopt their pro-medical marijuana stand. After speaking to their national convention, Dr. Sisley remarked that, quote, I only heard very positive feedback from the thousands of veterans in the audience, end quote. Washington, D.C., Today, Michael Botticelli, director of the Office of National Drug Control Policy, or the Drug Czar's Office, announced $85.9 million in grants for 698 drug-free community, or DFC, support programs across the country. The grants will provide funding to local community coalitions for preventing youth substance use, including prescription drugs, marijuana, tobacco, and alcohol. DFC-funded coalitions are comprised of community leaders, parents, youth, teachers, religious and fraternal organizations, healthcare and business professionals, law enforcement, and media. While the DFC's internal reporting shows decreases in all drug and alcohol use among teens in those communities, marijuana use, quote, showed the smallest percentage change, end quote, compared to alcohol, tobacco, and prescription drugs. Nashville, Tennessee. The municipal decriminalization measure proposed in the Nashville Metro Council has been reworded to remove opposition from the chief of police. The proposal would treat the possession of less than a half ounce of marijuana as a non-criminal municipal violation, punishable by a fine of $50 or 10 hours of community service. Metro Nashville Police Chief Steve Anderson had opposed the measure for its language stating that an officer, quote, shall issue, end quote, a ticket. Anderson believed that removed the officer's discretion to charge a marijuana offender with the city violation or the state misdemeanor or to confiscate the marijuana and waive the ticket with a warning. Newly proposed amendments would change the word shall to may, leading Anderson to, quote, feel comfortable in moving my position to neutral, end quote. The Metro Council Committee will vote on the measure today. It is expected to pass to the full council for debate and a second vote on Tuesday. Paramus, New Jersey. Another former NFL player is stepping up to support medical cannabis use by pro football players. Former New York Giants defensive end Leonard Marshall was best known for his crushing hits on the field, most infamously for cracking Hall of Fame quarterback Joe Montana's ribs in the 1991 NFC Championship game, sidelining Montana for the entire next season. 
Now Marshall, age 54, is a vice president for Hometown Rx, a chain of pharmacies aiming to someday provide medical cannabis products in New Jersey. Marshall says he's been using cannabidiol oil to combat the daily headaches he still suffers after 12 years of battles on the line of scrimmage. He never used marijuana recreationally in his life, but suicides of former players like his friend Chicago Bears safety Dave Duerson led Marshall to be proactive about the mood changes he began to experience in 2007. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Tuesday, September 6, 2016. I'm Russ Belville. We don't limit how much you smoke, and we don't limit where you listen. Cannabis Radio is now on iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Cash? Sorry. I don't carry around cash, and I don't want to use the ATM and pay surcharges. You don't need to carry cash. Haven't you heard about PayQuick? Okay, tell me about PayQuick. It's the safe and easy way to pay. It works just like your debit card to securely pay for your purchase, and it gives you rewards points every time you use it. Nice. PayQuick, the safe and easy way to pay. P-A-Y-Q-W-I-C-K dot com. Normal stands for responsible adult cannabis use. If cannabis use is causing problems in your life, consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance. Consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness. Don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks, even though the risks may be far less than those posed by legal drugs. You can find Radical Russ online everywhere. Gmail, Facebook, Twitter. Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube, SoundCloud, Snapchat, LinkedIn, and Boise State University's 2400 baud modem bulletin board system from 1985. Coming soon to a city near you, Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. Get all your cannabis accounting, legal, and compliance questions answered by their knowledgeable panel of industry experts who want to help your cannabis boom. Whether you're a grower, dispensary operator, or a newcomer to the field, your cannabis needs Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. For information on upcoming events, visit CannabisFinanceBootCamp.com. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Recently, a study from the British medical journal The Lancet Psychiatry got a lot of coverage in the media, which boiled the conclusions down to two primary data points. One, more Americans are using marijuana. Two, fewer Americans think using marijuana is harmful. Of course, the third data point they either ignored or buried is that the number of Americans who have a marijuana use disorder has remained virtually the same. But it's that second data point that has some public policy wonks worried. People just don't think regularly smoking pot is as risky as they used to. As Roger Rothman, a professor emeritus at University of Washington's School of Social Work, told ABC News, quote, The idea that marijuana is harmless has been too far widely accepted by people. I want to see that pendulum switch back toward accuracy and for us to be more tuned in to what people need to make informed decisions, end quote. Well, let's burn that straw man right off. Nobody is claiming that marijuana use is harmless. I've seen too many newbies pass out from a dab to believe that. But nothing 
is harmless, you can drink too much water and die. However, Professor Rothman and the others who are lamenting the swing of this pendulum on marijuana perception need to have some, pers- need to have some perspective here. This pendulum is just swinging back to reality from the reefer madness it's been in for the past 80 years. The perceptions our mainstream society have about marijuana have been pushed so far to the absurd that any accurate and factual understanding about marijuana is naturally going to reduce the fear and stigma around its use. After all, marijuana was the demon reefer, the Mexican local weed that the greatest generation were told would lead to insanity, criminality, and death. They were warned that, quote, if the hideous monster Frankenstein came face to face with the monster of marijuana, he would drop dead of fright, end quote. For years, it was the hippie weed or the schedule one narcotic that the baby boomers were told would make them go sterile or alter their baby's chromosomes. It would make you an A-motivated slacker loser with man boobs and lead you straight into the arms of heroin addiction. For many, it was the gateway drug or the wacky tobacco that Generation X were shown would turn our brains into eggs in a frying pan. Our president even told us, quote, I now have absolute proof that smoking even one marijuana cigarette is equal in brain damage to being on Bikini Island during an H-bomb blast. End quote. Even today, it's the pot 2.0, it's not your father's Woodstock weed, that the millennials are told is so super potent it will cause you permanent loss of intelligence and consign you to the bottom rungs of the economic ladder. In the story, ABC News writes, quote, The general change in risk perception began around 2006 to 2007, around the same time that legislation surrounding marijuana began to change, end quote. Well, no shit. After four generations of us being told how terrible marijuana was, in the late 1990s, brave activists pushed back against the establishment. They touted the medical benefits of marijuana for those with severe nausea, something even the older generations had some knowledge of, as like a benefit to cancer patients undergoing chemotherapy. And they started to press its use for other severe ailments as well. And for 10 years, medical marijuana continued to pass in state after state, and nothing bad seemed to have happened. News stories accumulated of patients gaining great relief from marijuana. None of them seemed to turn into crazed axe murderers or idiot heroin addicts. So in 2002, when the government asks, quote, do you see great risk in smoking marijuana once or twice a week? End quote. It's not a surprise that barely over half the people said there was a great risk. That's still half the country that believed four generations of anti-pot propaganda. Now, another 10 years after medical marijuana has continued to advance, and a few states have outright legalized, and the sky still hasn't fallen, only a third of the people see that great risk from weekly toking. Also consider the factor of risk isn't just to one's health, but to one's freedom. As more states and cities have reformed their marijuana laws, the risk of weekly toking leading to a free ride in a cop car diminishes. Whether or not people think marijuana use is risky and harmful is an irrelevant statistic. How many people are consuming marijuana is interesting, but not the point. The point is whether or not marijuana is actually causing harm to self and others. 
And what policies do we enact to reduce that harm? So far, the biggest harms from marijuana have resulted from its prohibition. So we're addressing that. Only once prohibition is over nationwide can we accurately assess what, if any, harms there are from its regular use. Get your own medicinal marijuana cards. (laughs) Well, you might not have to much longer. Happy 420 for everybody out there in Las Cruces, New Mexico and the rest of the Mountain Time Zone. We got to take a break. And when we come back, we'll be back with some drug war data mining, taking a look at middle-aged parents and their pot-smoking kids. Or is it vice versa? Maui Wowie. Acapulco Gold. California Kush. Our strains stretch everywhere, too. This is the Cannabis Radio Network. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now. About a game for your phone, gonna make you say, wow! The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash. Grow the seeds of the bud, put the savings in the stash. Little by little, your empire grows large. Put the big celebrities inside your entourage. You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Chichin Chong. Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong. The name of the game is Himping, that's the point. Download and play while you light yourself a joint. Business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot proved by the man who run high times. Oh, yeah. Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Previously on the Stoner Jesus Show. St. Paul's doing good work. It's Mark Greg, you're a poontang. If I can use a medical term. Yes. <laughs> and New England Medical Journal. Oh, my That's God. That's right. Oh, uh, you can call me Dr. St. Paul now. Dr. St. Paul. I don't think I will. No. <laughs> you, you wouldn't even qualify to be a vet. Oh, I'm a special kind of vet. I'll make him less lonely. The Stoner Jesus Show. Live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Or find the Stoner Jesus Show podcast on demand at CannabisRadio.com and StonerJesus.net. Peace, bitches. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. The Supreme Court is wrong on the Second Amendment. Okay, maybe you're high, too. At Herbie's Cannabis Seeds, we pride ourselves on bringing you the best quality seeds from the world's most respected cannabis seed producers, all at the lowest online prices. You can find Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. All cannabis seeds are sold as souvenirs and as a means of preserving cannabis genetics. Herbie Seeds in no way intends to condone, promote, or incite the use of illegal or controlled substances. We strongly urge all prospective customers to check their national laws prior to placing an order. Herbie Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. Proud sponsors of The Russ Belville Show and 420 Radio. Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining. Well, when marijuana was legalized here in my state of Oregon, there was a political cartoon that appeared in our state's newspaper, the Oregonian, 
that featured a middle-aged set of parents looking over their young kids playing video games. And the middle-aged parents talk about that now that marijuana is legal, they're going to go buy some Maui Wowie. And all the kids can think is, geez, pot is so lame. And it's something I've, I've been harping on about legalization is that legalization isn't for the kids. It's for the adults. The kids already have their access. They already know a dealer at their school. They can already find a guy behind the shop class that will sell some weed to them. It's us middle-aged people that don't have the access, that don't want to be waiting in parking lots for a, a short bag of sticks and stems. Uh, stems and seeds, I should say. It's been so long, I forgot about them. Uh, well, now there are data that are coming out that are giving some truth to that uh, cartoon. And the Centers for Disease Control ran their recent 12-year report of data from 2002 to 2014 from the National Survey on Drug Use and Health. And they found that over the past 13 years, past month marijuana use has steadily increased in the United States. And as I reported to you last week, the greatest increases are found among people aged 26 and older. Meanwhile, the teenagers, those aged 12 to 17, their use actually fell by 10% since 2002. In fact, the takeaway from this latest report is that a greater percentage of people aged 35 to 44 are using marijuana on a monthly basis than people aged 12 to 17. That's right. The middle-aged parent is now more likely to be the pot smoker than their teenage kid. Among middle-aged people, uh, 45 to 54, the increase was 50%. For people 65 and older, the increase is 333% since 2002. And for people in the 55 to 64 age group, the spike was 455%. So teenage use over the past 12 years, remember, we, during this past 12 years, we legalized medical marijuana in 25 states or so. We legalized recreational in four states. And all of our opponents said, oh, all this legalization is going to make kids think it's okay. We're going to have stone teenagers roaming the streets like pot zombies. It's going to be a crisis of biblical proportions. And yet what we're finding is the opposite has happened. Fewer kids are using marijuana. More adults are turning to marijuana. Now, it's an overall percentage. It's not as great. Let's be clear about that. When you're talking about people between the ages of 18 and 25 is going to be your greatest demographic for regular marijuana use, up to about a third of them using monthly. Between ages 55 and 64, it's just 6.1%. Of the people that are using and among people over age 65 it's just 1.3 percent still those numbers are greatly increased from 12 years ago now uh the other news that comes from the cdc study that's interesting has to do with the perception of risk and the idea here is that uh as marijuana becomes more legalized in 2002, half the people found great risk from weekly smoking of cannabis. Now it's down to just a third of the people who find great risk from the regular smoking of cannabis. The other thing that we found is that the perceived availability for cannabis among teenagers has also dropped. For Since 1975, the Monitoring the Future study uh, has asked 
American 12th graders, if they wanted to go out and score a bag of marijuana, how easy would it be? And the percentage of those 12th graders who have reported it, it would be easy or fairly easy to score a bag has never dropped below 80% in the 40 years they've been asking that question until now. The most recent data from 2014 shows a slight drop. It's, it's down to 79.5%, but that still is the first time it's ever registered below 80%. And going back to this 2002, it was above 80. It was like close to 90% of the kids found it easy to acquire cannabis. So legalization is showing a significant uh, decrease in kids' ability to access marijuana. The other thing that we found is a decrease in abuse and dependence. Uh, the, there have been increases in daily and almost daily use among adults, but no increase in the prevalence, in fact, a slight decrease in the prevalence of marijuana dependence and abuse among adult marijuana users. This is news that is great to hear, but it's something I think those of us in the cannabis community have been well aware of through our personal use of the plant and hanging around a bunch of people who've been using it for a very long time. We're finding out that, yes, there is a cannabis dependence and some people will suffer from it. But those same people are going to suffer from it no matter what we set up. See, we can have pot shops or we can have uh, prohibition and it doesn't seem to change one way or the other whether or not a certain small group of people develop an unhealthy relationship with cannabis. Well, folks, speaking of data, we're going to go get some more straight from the source. Coming up next in our Sensimia Science, we're going to be speaking with University of Washington researcher Sam Mendez on his group's research on children and what attracts them to edibles. Stay tuned. It's the Russ Bellville Show. We're back in two. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. How high do you like your profit margin? CannabisRadio.com. Dr. Dabber, hurry. Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's orders. Less heat, (laughs) more flavor. The political climate is at a fever pitch. And the fight for the social fabric of America is set for battle this November. Tuesday, November 8th, the cannabis liberation movement takes a huge step forward. And Cannabis Radio is here to chronicle this legendary moment. CannabisRadio.com and the Cannabis Radio News team will feature wall-to-wall live coverage of all the coast-to-coast voting of state amendments. 
ballots, propositions, and initiatives that will further progress the cannabis crusade. Join us November 8th for Vote 2016, The Path to Cannabis Freedom, only on CannabisRadio.com. You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. New beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Despite marijuana's federal Schedule One status, academics continue to discover the truth, counter the propaganda, and unlock more benefits within humanity's most beneficial plant. Join us now as we speak with the pioneering researchers in cannabis in this edition of Sensamia Science. Welcome back, everyone. 32 after the hour. And joining us via Skype, we've got Sam Mendez. He's a researcher at the University of Washington. Sam, welcome to the show. Sam, can you hear me okay? Yeah, uh, it's sort of in and out. I can just hear you now, so let's see if this connection works. Okay, fantastic. Glad we've got you on the line. Uh, I was uh, attracted to your work uh, that came out uh, is a couple of weeks ago now, where you were mm-hmm. looking at the factors that uh, involve uh, a child's decision to eat or not eat something. Uh, can you give us a little background on this research and what prompted you to uh, undertake it? Sure. Yeah. Well, the Cannabis Law and Policy Project uh, here at the University of Washington School of Law, we're essentially a a nascent think tank uh, that's dedicated to uh, researching uh, policy and legal and other issues uh, relating to uh, cannabis. So the Liquor and Cannabis Board uh, here in Washington State, the WSLCB, had contracted with us to produce two reports for them. Um, This is the second of those two. And uh, we were tasked with... um, sort of advising their policies on uh, edibles with respect to concern of keeping them away from children. So tackling the question of what exactly uh, about food itself um, and the branding and packaging around the food uh, could make it attractive to children. Hmm. So this just wasn't about cannabis edibles specifically, but just in general, what attracts kids to food? Yeah, exactly. And that was actually for a very practical uh, and ethical issue that it, I don't know of any research out there in which, uh, can, you know, cannabis-infused edibles are, are tested on children. Yeah. And there's uh, ethical issues with that of having children try it. So, I, I, but, can, I can imagine it'd be tough to have the, uh, the cannabis gummy group versus the placebo gummy group. Exactly. Right. <laughs> exactly. I don't know if there would uh, you'd get funding any, anywhere for that. Um, but we figured, you know, the, we figured the same principles would apply for uh, cannabis-infused food or regular food uh, about what a, a child would be attracted to. All right. So what were some of the conclusions that you found? What made food attractive to kids? Right. Yeah. So our conclusions were nothing groundbreaking, but it did provide, um, you know, a solid research foundation that the LCB can rely upon um, both for the present and in the future if they should revise their policies. So we essentially had two large categories. One was the food itself, and then the, the other was the branding and packaging of the food. So around the food itself, we looked at uh, four subcategories, and that was um, it was the color, uh, the shape of the food, as well as the smell and the taste of the food. Um, 
Now, our conclusions were, uh, surprise, surprise, that children are attracted to bright colors, uh, particularly red and yellow. Um, and uh, they are, they do, uh, particularly young children are attracted to interesting uh, shaped foods, such as bears or, uh, or stars, as opposed to, you know, just regular stick hmm. or, uh, or non, not uninteresting shapes. Um, and then of, uh, with taste and smell, um, on general, uh, on par, we found uh, research that showed that children are uh, attracted to uh, sweet tasting and smelling uh, foods as opposed to sour or bitter uh, or other flavors that uh, might be more attractive to adults. So again, no, you know, no real surprise there, but it does provide, uh, you know, some, some research basis to things that we already find intuitive. Was, um, uh, you know, in uh, Colorado, they had already adjusted their edible manufacturing rules to uh, forbid the manufacture of uh, anything shaped like an animal or, or a shape or a, or a human. Uh, what other recommendations would you make as far as you know, crafting Washington's laws? What recommendations did you make for these edible products? Right, right. So the, the second category, we also found that branding and packaging had a very strong impact on, uh, on a child's choice of, of food. So a classic example would be children's cereal, you know, where you have very bright colors um, with mascots or other characters that are represented by them. And then something like Lucky Charms also have interesting shapes in there as well. So we, I think one thing that was sort of intriguing was that none of these factors was clearly uh, indicative of, uh, of child automatically being attracted. So, so no one factor we would, uh, we would, we concluded was, uh, was, you know, an entirely essential portion, but we did find that, uh, on a broad level, looking at, uh, all of these categories together, uh, would, would be a better approach. So sort of having a, you know, a certain number factor test, uh, in approaching, uh, you know, from a regulatory standpoint in approaching a product. Now, the LCB already has, um, like, uh, like Colorado, they already have policies around, um, uh, around edibles. And, um, it's, but it's pretty general in nature. It's basically uh, foods or products will not be allowed to be sold that are likely to be attractive to children. And they do have in parentheses such as gummy bears and lollipops. Um, so they already didn't allow, for example, uh, infused gummy bears. Um, and this provides the research uh, support for that. Um, as whether the LCB will revise their policies in the future, I'm not really sure. But in in sum, um, essentially, um, sell sell products that are not likely to be attractive to children. And based on these factors, um, you know, dark or non non bright colors such as brown or black, um, both with the packaging and the food. Um, not interesting shapes, so no bears or animal crackers or things like that. Um, now, taste and smell is actually a little bit more difficult. And, you know, I have, per- have had people uh, suggest to me, well, what if we make brownies taste a little bit more bitter or add something to that? But the, the industry would be up in arms over that. I mean, they are still, after all, selling um, sweet foods. Um, so that uh, could be harder to regulate. You know, I'm not making any value judgment on what the the LCB should do, but you can see why that would be uh, more difficult to regulate. Yeah, it's something that uh, comes up for those of us adults on the uh, cannabis consumption side is that 
we like candy too. <laughs> and and right. it's, uh, you know, I, I actually looked up the figures from the American Confectioners Association and they tell me that two out of three gummy bears manufactured are eaten by adults. So is it just going to be a situation where we're likely, you know, if we want to have gummy bears or, or gummy products, we're just going to have to make the compromise of their being them being brown and shapeless? Is that it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I haven't heard of any uh, banning or disallowing of, you know, shapeless brown gelatinous candy. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. I, I, I think that would pass the test. Um, so, yeah, but but I do think um, for now, um, consumers and the industry will probably have to, um, you know, resolve themselves to not not to not buying infused bear shaped foods. Um, <laughs> we did also acknowledge in the paper that, um, you know, an important factor here is also parental responsibility. Um, just about everybody agrees that we should keep this uh, product away from children, although this is not um, a product that does, uh, you know, very easily uh, kill a child. You know, there's no lethal dose of cannabis. But but this was also not the first dangerous uh, product that is found in the household. I mean, alcohol is already uh, in many people's households. But, of course, cleaning agents um, and pharmaceutical drugs are very common, and their parents have a responsibility to keep those out of reach and away from children as well. So that we just had that sort of as a disclaimer early on in the report that we are here to advise the LCB on on this research and providing these uh, these factors and findings. But at the same time, from a regulatory standpoint, the government can only do so much. And in order to keep children safe, of course, uh, parents are the uh, the first responders there. I'm glad you bring up that disclaimer, because as we look at the uh, poison control statistics in, in America, the fastest growing category of these accidental ingestions isn't cannabis. It's those laundry pods, like those tied jelly looking laundry pods that kids are getting into. Nobody's uh, calling on them to manufacture them in shapeless brown packages. But uh, thank right. you. For, thank you for bringing that up. Uh, Sam, uh, before we uh, close things up here, I want to make sure that if you've got any uh, contact information, websites or helpful resources for our listeners out there that you get a chance to promote those for us could you yeah sure i'd be happy to i'll also uh, just put in a plug that the canvas law and policy project is currently actively in our fundraising campaign so we're seeking to raise two hundred fifty thousand dollars by the end of october so if uh, any of your listeners are interested in contributing please feel free to reach out to me um, you can email me directly at smendez at uw.edu that's s-m-e-n-d-e-z at uw.edu um, we also have a, a web page that links to our uh, um, the times we're quoted in the media as well as our reports um, and our blog as well that we regularly update. Um, the URL is a little bit long, but it's law.washington.edu slash programs slash cannabis. Fantastic. You can also just Google us and you'll find us as well. Fantastic. And uh, just pause and rewind if you need to get that address again. I know it was a long one. Uh, now, Sam, before I let you go, you mentioned this was the second report your group has put out for WSLCB. Mm -hmm. Can you give us a brief uh, understanding of what your first report was? Sure. Yeah. Uh, the first report had to do with uh, estimating canopy space for the medical marijuana market. Um, so this was all within the frame of, in Washington State, merging their medical unregulated system uh, with cannabis and the, the far heavily regulated and taxed uh, recreational marijuana system. We, for a few years, had been existing uh, within these two spaces, and it was problematic for, for the LCB to have this because, it, you know, the unregulated market was sort of undermining uh, the, the regulated recreational market. So they sought to merge that. Um, it was very controversial. Um, you know, there was 
um, you know, people on both sides arguing about how to do it right. But all that, be that as it may, they tasked us with estimating uh, as these two markets merge and the, the end date for that would be July 1st, 2016, um, would there be enough cannabis sold in stores to satisfy patients? And we concluded that uh, between 1.7 to 2 million square feet of canopy space uh, would satisfy that market. It was intended to be sort of a broad snapshot of estimating just uh, by raw weight uh, how much cannabis would be used by patients across the state. There were other questions out there that that was just beyond the scope of the report, such as uh, patient access to these stores and or are they getting their specific uh, strain or product or potency that they're used to. Um, and we just didn't address those as we, you know, we had uh, a specific task that we had to complete. As someone who uh, is a regular researcher on various topics, is there anything about uh, researching cannabis that is odd or different than other topics? Sure. Well, I, the two things that come to mind is the federal illegality and that we are very much in a, a brave new world here. Um, you know, I mean, I, I couldn't imagine anybody would have predicted this 20 years ago. And even 10 years ago was, uh, you know, you've seen an incredibly fast shift here across the country. There's still, uh, it's still very much developing, um, but you can expect this, this uh, brave new world to be happening for many years to come. You know, I, um, there's a good chance that California could legalize this year uh, by their, their ballot. Um, and that would just be a huge sea change. You know, it'd be a very large domino to fall. They're the seventh largest economy in the world, easily larger than all the four currently legal states combined. Um, so I think it's, it's a fascinating area to study and I, I love my job. So I, I love that it's, it's very, uh, quickly developing. And then of course, this is still so cutting edge that it's still illegal at the federal level. So there's a lot of stigma around it. Um, both in the in society at large, but also within the legal community in particular. Um, so it's it's very interesting and uh, and very exciting for a number of reasons. Sam Mendez from the University of Washington. I want to thank you for joining us here in our Sensimia Science segment, and uh, good luck with your future research. Not a problem. Thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it, Russ. All right, folks, stay tuned. When we come back, we've got another great interview guest coming up, Ryan Denham from Arkansas Compassion, discussing the two competing medical marijuana amendments. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Seed to sale, clicks to conversions, and more. You're listening to the Cannabis Radio Network. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Cannabisradio.com keeps you in the know Monday through Friday on air and on demand with Cannabis Radio News. Presented with the definitive worldwide news source, the Associated Press. Stay informed with exclusive news on all things cannabis. Cannabis Radio News, live weeknights at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific, during the Russ Belville Show 
or download the daily podcast exclusively on CannabisRadio.com, as well as iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. When breaking news happens in the cannabis industry, Cannabis Radio News delivers the details first. Marijuana is not addictive, but listening to the Russ Belleville Show is. Are you playing an acoustic guitar but want to be louder without an amp? Try a resonator guitar. The fingerboard extension has national resophonic and other resonators, square necks, and round necks. Stop by the fingerboard extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Go wild hog in the woods. Activism begins with ACT. The Rush Belleville Show features the stories of hardworking grassroots activists working for an end to prohibition in today's activist agenda. Welcome back, everyone. 48 after the hour. Today in the activist agenda, we've got a longtime activist joining us, Ryan Denham from the state of Arkansas. Hi, Ryan. How you doing? How's it going, Russ? Thanks for having me on. Yeah. yeah I, and are you still with Arkansas Compassion? Is that the group? Yeah, our, our Kansans for compassionate care. Yep. Fantastic. Okay, so Arkansas is uh, kind of uh, <laughs> thrown us all a curve here in the reform community by getting not one, but two medical marijuana uh, initiatives on the ballot. Can you give us some background on to why this happened? Sure. So, um, you know, in 2012, Russ, we actually grassroots uh, activists with our Kansans for compassionate care collected enough signatures to place medical cannabis on the ballot uh, for the 2012 presidential election, and we were narrowly defeated on election day. It was uh, less than three percentage points. We, we lost by around 30,000 votes. So it was a very, very close uh, close defeat, and we, we vowed to come back again. So um, we, we, we reorganized. We collected enough signatures on, on, a, on a very low budget and qualified for the 2016 um, uh, ballot. Uh, our, one of our former attorneys, you know, his, his kind of analysis on why we were defeated was because we had the grow your own option included or the hardship cultivation option included in our 2012 initiative. And, um, you know, we disagreed on including that again. Um, it was important for us to include that grow your own um, option uh, moving forward. And so he ended up leaving the group. Uh, David Couch is the attorney's name from Little Rock and uh, vowed to basically start his own group. Now, we, you know, qualified for the ballot. We were the first to make the ballot, and we hoped that that would, uh, you know, would have solved this situation, and he wouldn't have turned his signatures in. But uh, he decided to turn in the signatures and, and go against us. So we're kind of in a situation now where we have two different uh, medical cannabis initiatives on the ballot, and there are quite a few differences, too, that um, I'd like to talk about here as well. Sure. So let's make sure people know yours is the Arkansas Medical Cannabis Amendment, and the other one is the Medical Marijuana Amendment. Do I get that right? Uh, close. It's, it's the ours is the Arkansas Medical Cannabis Act, and okay. and the the opposing campaign, the the big business campaign, is is the Arkansas Medical Marijuana Amendment. And so his is a constitutional amendment. Ours is a statutory in, initiative. Okay, and the differences. Uh, yours is the one that includes the right to grow. That is correct. Uh, so we we are um, identified now as issue number seven on, on the ballot, and the opposing big big business campaign is issue number six. 
So um, we allow for uh, for grow your own option if you're 20 miles away from your dispensary, um, which would be five uh, mature plants and five flowering plants. And so uh, under the other one, uh, there is no home grow at all. You'd have to buy from a dispensary. That's correct. Are there differences in the qualifying conditions? Yeah, there are. We have 56 qualifying conditions. So, so we really kind of increased the conditions that we had in 2012. Um, you know, we, we ran into patients across the state that had conditions that were not included in our 2012 initiative. And so we wanted to make our law better. And um, the, the other competing campaign, Issue 6, has around a dozen conditions. And, you know, we, we think um, his campaign leaves out important conditions like lupus and autism, Parkinson's, anorexia, traumatic brain injury. So those are just kind of a, a few examples of ones that are, are left out on the, on the opposing uh, initiative. Are there any other significant differences to tell us about? Yeah, so, so the, the, um, the, the agencies that oversee the program, our, our entire program is overseen by the Arkansas Department of Health, as, as we think it should be. Uh, the, the issue six, the, the competing campaign, it's, it's also partially or, uh, overseen by the Arkansas Department of Health. But then there's a new legislative body, um, and the members of this legislatively appointed commission um, that the governor would have an input on. And the governor is, of course, the former DEA um, administrator for the entire United States of America, uh, Asa Hutchison. So he has a say on, on who gets to sit on this uh, marijuana commission that gets to decide who, who gets the, the dispensary licenses and the wholesale licenses. And then the, the third agency or the third group entity that would be overseeing this program is the alcohol beverage control. And, and we you know, have a problem with the alcohol beverage control being involved in, in, in medicine. So it sounds to me from a cannabis patient's perspective, this Cannabis Act, the Issue 7, is the act that would be preferable. Uh, would you agree? Hey, well, absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, that's why we have um, the, the patients and the volunteers and, and their families that are on our side. Yeah. Um, you know, this campaign, and as you know, Russ, it's hard to get signatures. You know, we turned in 117,000 signatures. Um, we paid very little uh, canvassers to, to do that. And most of it was grassroots volunteer work. And these are the, the people that got the signatures of the people that actually need medical cannabis. These are the people that have MS and cancer and AIDS and, and hep C. Um, and, and that's why they support our initiative over the competing initiative. So this is an interesting scenario. You've got one that's a more restrictive amendment and one that's a more liberal statutory act. What if they both pass? So, you know, the short answer usually from people you talk to is the one with the most votes wins. But it's a little more complicated than that. And ultimately, I think would probably end up in the courts. Um, since the competing issue six is a constitutional amendment and, and ours is an initiated act, um, it, it, that rule may not apply. I mean, it is possible that, that it, some legal people think it is possible that the, the initiatives could be reconciled with each other, that um, parts of ours that, that aren't prohibited under the amendment could, could um, maybe be allowed to uh, be interwoven with, with, with the amendment or allowed to be to, to exist as, as statutory law. So it, it's really kind of an unknown, honestly. I don't think this has really happened before in Arkansas. And, um, but, you know, ultimately we're hoping that, that we get more votes than the other one, that, that, that we prevail on Election Day. Um, our initiative is polling higher than the other initiative. And it seems that our Kansans um, want, um, you know, to support the, the, the things that are in our initiative, like the hardship cultivation. We have an affordability clause that would be in the first in its nation, as far as I understand, where uh, folks on a low-income scale to get a discounted price for, for medical cannabis if, if they meet certain criteria. Uh, you know, Arkansas is one of the poorest states in the nation, and that was important for us to have equal access to, for low-income patients. Now, Ryan, one of the most recent developments in this situation is a second lawsuit filed against your initiative, and it turns out it's filed 
by a normal legal committee lifetime member. Uh, what can you tell us about this? And, and is it in any way connected to uh, Mr. Couch and his campaign? Sure. So, um, you know, a few days ago, uh, Friday, actually, we, we had a, a second lawsuit. You know, we actually had a first lawsuit where a, a group, uh, you know, a, a family a, a family group and, and physician-related group is, is trying to kick us off the ballot based on the, on the ballot title. But, but this new lawsuit is, is aimed at actually kicking off signatures um, from uh, the signatures that we turned in, invalidating signatures, rather. And so the, the woman who, who did this, her name is Kara Benka, and she's a, a Little Rock a, attorney. Um, you know, she signed up as a, as a normal uh, legal committee member. We've never heard of her before. She's never been active in, in the activist community or drug policy reform or anything like that. And she basically filed a lawsuit aimed at, at kicking signatures off. And so, um, you know, our attorneys are, are, are working to respond to that, to that case. And, and we know we're confident that we're going to prevail and, and still be on the ballot. So, uh, yeah, so this is likely going to court, and you don't think there's very much uh, merit to these claims? No, not, not really, Russ. We, we had a really solid uh, campaign. You know, we, we really strived uh, to follow the rules uh, 100% and, and really, uh, you know, make sure that, that everything was done um, um, with the required uh, uh, laws in the initiative process. And, um, you know, we really, uh, you know, did a few different audits on the campaign before we turned in signatures. And, and, um, and we're, we're really confident that, that our signatures are sound and that uh, we're going to continue to be on the ballot. Is there worry that having two of these on the ballot may confuse voters and possibly split the support for medical marijuana? Sure. And, and you know, that was our concern all along. And, you know, throughout this campaign, especially once we were getting closer to the end, you know, once we, uh, you know, turned, you know, when we turned in our signatures, we, we did a press conference and we pleaded for this other side to, to not turn in their signatures. Um, you know, we made the ballot first. If they would have made the ballot, there's a chance we probably wouldn't have turned ours in, you know, because having two on the ballot, it, it can confuse voters. Um, and so there's nothing we can do about it right now except move forward. And we're trying to get out the vote as, as the, the best way possible with, with our, our grassroots army of volunteers, the way that we made the ballot. So we've got uh, 1,600 people that have signed up in Arkansas to help us uh, get on the ballot. And now we're activating those, those volunteers to get out the vote. So we're distributing, you know, tens of thousands of handbills uh, and, uh, you know, hitting social media hard and, and speaking engagements and, and really just trying to, to get that issue number seven in the voters' minds when they walk in and vote on November 8th. Aside from these internecine battles between campaigns, is there any sort of significant opposition to both of them from, say, law enforcement or rehabs? Yeah, and you know, the rest, a lot of that's been overshadowed by, by the lawsuits and by, uh, by, by this dueling situation. So, yeah, you know, there's the typical players that, that, are, that are against this. The, the Family Council of Arkansas that's connected to the National Family Council, um, that they're opposed to this. Uh, there's another group that, that has launched um, coalition for, for safer Arkansas communities, but they're really not too active and they, they haven't really raised uh, much money at all. So, um, it, I, I, I think really that we, we've been out there for two years promoting this campaign, um, so much that, that we've made a lot of connections and that we've done a great job of, of, uh, of, of talking to voters and, and really educating them about how medical cannabis can help and why this is an important law to pass in Arkansas. Well, I wish you all the luck in the world, and I encourage my listeners in Arkansas to always pick cannabis over marijuana. Make the right choice on election night, and we'll be here on election night bringing you all the latest results. Ryan Denham with Arkansans for Compassionate Care. Thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks for having me on, Russ. Appreciate it. You betcha. All right, folks, that's all the time we got for hour one, but stay tuned. There's a whole nother hour of the Russ Bell Show coming up in Toker Talk Radio. We'll be talking about Oregon's lack of accredited testing, 
how it might affect not just the cannabis industry, but our clean water. Also, a story on the new study on cannabis and short-term motivation and the DEA scheduling Kratom as a Schedule 1 drug. For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. It's time for Toker Talk Radio, the voice of the marijuana nation. What are you people? On dope? Where you can tope. I am here. Uh, or you can talk. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. Or you can talk and talk. Ten federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. While we talk about toke on Toker Talk Radio. So, by the way, when it comes to pot, you know, if you're 40 years old, you live in a log cabin in Oregon, you got 12 giant pot plants in your backyard, have a ball. Live from beautiful Poplin, Oregon at Rolla J Studios. Plus your calls live at 971-533-7111. They're walking on their pants with their cap on backwards, listening to the end of a man and Snoopy Snoopy Poop Dog. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory doesn't work. It's a reality. Holland, is it real? We're locking up people that take a couple of puffs of marijuana, and, and the, the next thing you know, they got 10 years. And now, here's your host, the guru of Gonta Graphics, the sultan of sativa statistics, and the worst nightmare of a reefer mad prohibitionist. A polite, perspicacious, productive pothead with a propensity for PowerPoint. Radical Russ Belleville. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back, everybody. Time for Hour 2 Toker Talk Radio, where we let down what's left of my hair and just chat about what's going on in the world of marijuana. Glad to have you back. Hope you had a great Labor Day weekend. God, can't believe we've made it to Labor Day. We're 63 days away from marijuana election night. Time's just flying by. I, of course, enjoyed the college football kickoff weekend. Uh, my beloved Boise State Broncos traveled down to Louisiana, Lafayette, Louisiana, take on the Raging Cajuns, won the game like in the first quarter or so. But a uh, great college football weekend, seven AP top 25 teams lost their home, lost their openers, a new record. And uh that's about all I'll say about the sports for next. I know a lot of you aren't into the sports, but um, I always like to let you know that there's more on my mind than just marijuana. I think sometimes people think that's all I'm about, just just marijuana. But nope, like the football, too. So enjoying that. 
We got all sorts of great stuff to talk about in this hour. We've got a story on Oregon and our accreditation or lack thereof of testing labs that's not only affecting our cannabis industry, but it's likely to affect our clean drinking water. That's coming up after our first break. After our 20 after safety meeting, uh, we'll get to that new study. You may have seen it floating around in your news feeds about how cannabis supposedly reduces short term motivation to work for money. So uh, we'll get behind all of that and the important part of that study that they're burying. And uh, in our last segment today, we're going to talk about Kratom. And I've seen Kratom advertised at various head shops here. And it's always been one of those things that I never really cared about because uh, I always figured that if a drug is for sale from a legal outlet, it it can't be that great, (laughs) right? Well, it must be that great because the DEA has now come up with an emergency schedule one designation for this herb. We'll tell you all about it. If you've never heard about it, uh, we'll tell you its origins and how it's kind of similar to how cannabis prohibition has unfolded. We're also checking out the live chat room here on CannabisRadio.com. Saying hi to all the Johns out there. John, 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 nice to see you. We're so excited about uh, what's coming up for Marijuana Election Night and uh, putting together a great lineup. Uh, In our first hour, it'll start as my normal Russ Belville show. In the second half hour of that first hour on Election Day, we're going to have two expert cannabis reform leader roundtables to discuss all of the votes coming up and what their predictions and thoughts are on the future of reform. Our first one is going to feature the leadership women of reform. We'll have a few uh, great cannabis leaders like Amanda Ryman from Drug Policy Alliance and Diane Goldstein from Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. We're looking to get Ellen Comp from California Normal and a few others to uh, discuss what they think is going to happen that night. We'll follow that up with another marijuana reform leader roundtable. This time, the men, we're looking to get to the leadership from the major organizations, including Keith Strop from Normal, Ethan Nadelman from Drug Policy Alliance, Rob Campia from Marijuana Policy Project, Neil Franklin from Leap, and Tom Angel from Marijuana Majority. On election night, you will find no greater source of marijuana expertise and the latest breaking results from all of the state polls as they close from time zone to time zone we'll be on for six hours 3 p.m to 9 p.m pacific 6 p.m to midnight eastern time we're going to catch every single vote and bring them to you here on cannabisradio.com all right we got to take that short break pay some of the bills when we come back we talk about my home state of oregon and testing laboratories This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Every strain, every sale, every medical study. Keep it right here on the Cannabis Radio Network. While the feds and state are doing their dance, you still need to transact business and manage your cash. Go professional and let your customers pay with PayQuick. They pay you and they earn rewards points. 
PayQuick connects to your bank account for free and secures all of your transactions. And with PayQuick, you can pay your producers and processors for free. Plus, it pays to have it because it makes depositing your cash safe and so easy. No cops, no crooks, just compliance and comfort, knowing you have your cannabis business in check with PayQuick. PayQuick, the safe and easy way to pay. P-A-Y-Q-W-I-C-K dot com. Tommy Chong is ready to cut through the smoke and change the tone of Tilk Radio. You know, during Dance with the Stars, I started feeling discomfort. Yeah. And not only that, I was doing these old man smells. It was kind of embarrassing because, you know, all the Dancing with the Stars crew, cast and crew, you know, they were all young kids. Yeah. You know, and then all of a sudden, this old guy would come along and do one of those silent farts, you know, that you don't know you're doing it. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you smell, and everybody go, what the hell smells? And, you know, and you knew it was me. And so I'd scurry off to the bathroom, you know, and that's when I knew that there was something wrong. The Tommy Chung Podcast, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome to my world. This is Dan Michaels from danmichaelsaudio.com, and you're listening to Radical Russ on CannabisRadio.com. Don't want to spend money on a night out, but don't know what to do other than watching TV or playing video games? Consider playing guitar, bass, banjo, or mandolin. The instrument will give you hours of entertainment with friends with minimal expense. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension, downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today, or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Pod 2.0. It's not your father's Woodstock weed. This is the Rush Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everyone. In this segment, we're taking a look at a story Noel Crombie has posted in The Oregonian at OregonLive.com. And it's entitled, Oregon Agency Charged with Accrediting Pot Labs, quote, on verge of collapse, end quote. Now, this is... Uh, a very difficult situation for us here in Oregon. Gary Ward, he is the administrator of the Oregon Environmental Laboratory Accreditation Program, sent a memo last week to the Oregon Health Authority claiming that the Health Authority, OHA, has ignored his pleas for resources and that the agency is, quote, on the verge of collapse. Now, this accrediting agency for environmental labs that's not just for the testing of cannabis products. His agency also accredits the labs that test drinking water. And so this is going to be a problem if we can, cannot get enough accreditation for these labs. According to Ward, he says we've received, quote, zero support, end quote, for the health authority. Now, OHA has long been mired in controversy for its handling of the uh, cannabis regulations in medical marijuana. But uh, this is going to affect not just medical, but our developing recreational cannabis market. On October 1st of this year, new products that are going to dispensary and pot shop shelves have to be tested at accredited labs. These tests are for potency, 
for contaminants, for solvents made in you know oils, for example, and pesticides. Well, if none of these labs can get accredited, there's not going to be any uh, approved products that can be sold starting on October 1st. According to uh, Ward's memo, he says, quote, we are on the precipice of collapse of environmental drinking water and cannabis accreditation because of the lack of resources, end quote. Now, health authority says they're going to respond to this. Uh, it's supposed to come out today. Haven't seen the response yet. But uh, according to Ward, the uh, accreditation agency has to assess 17 drinking water labs by January 2017, quote, or their accreditation will expire and drinking water testing will stop at those labs, end quote. This is a possible possibility of having untested water alongside our contaminated cannabis. Now, it's been very slow going from the bureaucracy in Salem in putting together the accreditation for these labs. And only two labs so far have been licensed by the state. And that's nowhere near enough to process how much volume of marijuana we're going to be cultivating here in Oregon. And this is a situation that has to be uh, rectified as soon as possible. First of all, uh, many of the labs uh, didn't get their applications in for accreditation until late in July. Well, now you're just giving them August and September to get this turned around before that October 1st deadline. The other thing, too, is that uh, according to Ward, quote, many of the cannabis labs need significant work adding that much of the work being done in the labs is inaccurate, like turning out negative results for pesticides in tainted samples. So not only do we have to accredit uh, new labs, but we also have to go back and audit some of these existing labs. He says, quote, we cannot get it done with current resources. Our work involved so much attention to technical detail that rushing or overloading in and of itself reduces the value of our program to the labs and Oregon's reputation as a whole. This will be especially true if we lose assessors or myself as the program manager due to the extreme working conditions we face, end quote. Now, folks, I used to work in state government uh, back in the 90s in my home state of Idaho, and we're talking about these inter-office memos, these inter-agency memos going back and forth. What that guy just put, what Gary Ward just put on the end of that memo was fix this shit or I quit. He couldn't write it in that many words, but that's what he just said. He's basically threatened to the state that things are bad now with the drinking water and the cannabis testing. Imagine how much worse they'll be if I leave and a bunch of my senior staff go with me, that's how bad the situation has gotten here. And there's no excuse for there not to be the resources in the state to make this happen on time. We've already seen how Oregon brought in $22.5 million in cannabis revenues in just the, the, the first month or so of sales. We've seen how Oregon has greatly exceeded the expectations and all of the prognostications, predictions, and analyses about how much 
we would be producing here in the state revenue wise, we've already blown away the predictions. So the money is there. The money is there. What is lacking at this point seems to be the political will. And that is just unacceptable. Measure 91 did not come as a surprise here in Oregon. We went for marijuana legalization in 2012 and narrowly lost. In 2013, our legislature started crafting our medical marijuana dispensary system. And we activists started hinting at the fact that we would run again in 2014. In 2014, all throughout the year, the polls showed it would pass. And in 2014, in November, we passed Measure 91. So now we're looking at being, what, 18 or, or more months, 20 months or so into this passage of Measure 91. And we're still having a difficulty trying to get the, test, the, 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 the labs tested and accredited. And as it is here in Oregon, and in Washington for that matter, this issue of testing is gaining much more importance among the cannabis community, especially as we're starting to find such great variation in the results that we'll get from the same sample of the same product if you take it to different labs. Part of this, of course, has to do with the federal Schedule I designation of cannabis, which takes the typical federal agencies out of, out of play here. Federal agencies that would help, like the EPA, on determining you know, pesticides or uh, bureaus of weights and measures and, and you know, other standards that would be applied to any other industry. The federal government has to turn a blind eye to the cannabis industry. So it's up to the states here to take on something that to them is a new sort of bureaucracy, is, is a new system that they have to invent uh, somewhat from scratch. And we know that our governments uh, and, and our politicians and our, and our bureaucracies aren't so good at quickly adapting to change. I hope this is something, uh, a lesson that the other legalization states that are on the ballot in 2016 can learn from. I'm hoping that every successive election in, that marijuana, in which marijuana passes provides a roadmap and a guide to what to do right and what to avoid as we move forward. Now that we've got two separate election cycles in which two or more states have legalized and all of these states to some extent or another have had to deal with this issue of the testing and certification of their laboratories, it would behoove California, Arizona, Nevada, Massachusetts, and Maine's lawmakers to start considering this right now, to consider the testing situation right now and start to get some legislation going to ensure that this is fixed before you try to bring your cannabis markets online. As we continue to push the cause of legalization nationwide, every step and every misstep we make is going to be greatly magnified in the, in the public discussion, especially if we're talking about California. Testing lab problems in Oregon are a story that may generate some news here in the Oregonian, but it's not likely to be popping up in the Washington Post or the New York Times. You can bet if California has a problem getting its act together with respect to testing, that that's going to be national news. 
So kudos to Noel Crombie at the Oregonian for putting this story together. You can find it at OregonLive.com. And it just goes to show that despite the fact Oregon is gaining this reputation among the four legalized states as the one that's doing it best, as the one that's got the, the least burdensome regulations and the best integration with medical cannabis, even though we've got all that going for us, it's important to remember that we're still new at this. And by my standards, we still haven't even gotten it right yet. I'm glad that we're doing it better than some of the others, but there's still a lot of room for improvement. The Oregon Health Authority needs to get their act together. They need to understand that this cannot delay any longer. October 1st is coming very quickly. Currently, the medical marijuana dispensaries are allowed to sell to existing uh, or to uh, adult customers uh, a limited amount, a quarter ounce of flour, for example. I think it's up to an ounce, maybe. But um, that will end at the end of this year. So between October 1st and December 31st, that provides three months span where consumers can still get cannabis. Rabba-dabba-goo. But after that three months, if we go into 2017 without enough labs to handle the pot shops, those pot shops can't open. And we cannabis consumers, adults, can no longer go to the medical dispensaries. So OHA, get your shit together. Happy 420 to everybody in John Day, Oregon. We'll be back right after this safety meeting. We have your smoking section right here. This is the Cannabis Radio Network. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. Hey, this is Willie Nelson for Norma. And I smoke pot and I like it a lot. I learned a long time ago that marijuana is a lot safer than alcohol. There's nothing wrong with responsible use of marijuana by adults. It's time we stopped arresting and started respecting those who smoke marijuana responsibly. To learn what you can do to help, contact Norma at NORML.org or call toll-free 888-67-NORMA. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Your grapefruits are no match for my Trump Towers. Okay, maybe you're high too. Coming soon to a city near you, Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. Get all your cannabis accounting, legal, and compliance questions answered by their knowledgeable panel of industry experts who want to help your cannabis boom. Whether you're a grower, dispensary operator, or a newcomer to the field, your cannabis business needs Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. For information on upcoming events, visit CannabisFinanceBootCamp.com. Pod 2.0. It's not your father's Woodstock weed. 
This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. All right. Welcome back, everybody. 23 after the hour. Hope you had a good safety briefing. I'm feeling safer, aren't you? All sorts of great shows coming up for the rest of this week. Tune in tomorrow. We'll have our Hemp Day Hump Day update with Doug Fine. Thursday, cops say legalize drugs. We'll have another great speaker from Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. And another guest to be announced on Friday. We'll let you know as soon as I know. All right. Welcome back. And uh, as we mentioned before we went to break, uh, we uh, have this study to bring to you here. This is coming from a university college in London. And you may have seen this uh, going through your feed uh, over the past week or so. But the uh, story here is supposedly a study that says cannabis reduces short-term motivation to work for money. The subtitle here, smoking the equivalent of a single spliff of cannabis makes people less willing to work for money while high. Well, the study here is supposedly trying to tell us that while you're actively high, you're less motivated to do work. Well, duh. (laughs) Yeah. When you're, when you're actively high, when you're baked out of your mind, yeah, you might not want to do as much work, but, uh, who's doing that at what office building or construction site or restaurant are people getting massively baked and then working. Well, there may be a few. But if uh, if they're working, <laughs> if it's working and no one's catching them, what's the problem, right? So when I first saw this, I thought, yeah, this is another one of these kind of scaremongering studies. It's described as the first study to reliably demonstrate the short-term effects of cannabis on motivation in humans. The idea here is you smoke pot, you'll be less motivated to work. And that's what you get from most of the mainstream reporting on this bit of science. Oh my God, the researchers found out pot makes you lazy. You'll see that in a bunch of the reports about this. But if you dig deeper into this report, it's actually full of great news for the cannabis community. First of all, the lead author of the study, Dr. Will Lawn, says, quote, Although cannabis is commonly thought to reduce motivation, this is the first time it has been reliably tested and quantified using an appropriate sample size and methodology. It has also been proposed that long-term cannabis users might also have problems with motivation, even when they are not high. However, we compared people dependent on cannabis to similar controls when neither group was intoxicated and did not find a difference in motivation. This tentatively suggests that long-term cannabis use may not result in residual motivation problems when people stop using it. However, longitudinal research is needed to provide more conclusive evidence, end quote. Yeah, the, the lo- yeah we need the long-term longitudinal research to determine whether the good thing is valid in this study. But the bad thing, the short term, you know, the the people, you know, short term being high, not wanting to work. Now, this is enough research on that. Don't need no more longitudinal research on on that problem. Let me tell you how this study went down. 
because the 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 makeup of the study itself the act of the stu- actions in the study itself lead me to question how valid this really is what they did is they had 57 volunteers in this research in two separate studies the first study was 17 adults who were occasional cannabis consumers and they inhaled and this is just in a, given to them in a balloon right they inhaled either cannabis vapor or cannabis placebo and they didn't know which they were getting first right so they all got both but it was random as to whether they're getting the cannabis or they're getting the placebo right so what they did after they had inhaled from the balloon is they were given this task that was supposed to determine their motivation for earning money and they actually get to receive the money okay so here's the task they set these people in front of a computer keyboard and they have a choice of two different options of what they could do to earn money. They could use the pinky finger of their non-dominant hand. So like if you're a right-hander, your left pinky finger. If you're a left-hander, your right pinky finger, right? The low effort task for which you could earn 50 pence, you know, not a lot of money, 50 pence, The task was to, with your left pinky finger, press the space bar 30 times in seven seconds. With your left pinky finger, do that, you get 50 pence. The high effort option was to take that same pinky finger, but press it 100 times in 21 seconds. With that effort, you could get 80 pence to two pounds. So a bit more money. But folks, let's point out that 80 pence to two pounds still isn't a whole lot of money. Let's let's see what the rate is. Two pounds in dollars. Let's see what our conversion rate is today. Uh, so two pounds is $2.68. Okay. <laughs> $2.68. So your question is, do you want to press the space bar uh, 30 times to earn 67 cents? Or do you want to press the bar, space bar 100 times to earn $2.68? In my mind, neither one of them are worth the time it's taking to press the space bar, whether I'm sober or high. But what the researchers found in this little experiment is that when people were high, the people who had gotten the cannabis balloon, the people who were high were less likely to do the 100 keystroke presses. They are more likely to take the 30. According to uh, senior author, Professor Val Curran, she says, quote, repeatedly pressing keys with a single finger isn't difficult, but it takes a reasonable amount of effort, making it a useful test of motivation. We found that people on cannabis were significantly less likely to choose the high effort option. On average, volunteers on placebo chose the high effort option 50% of the time for the two pound reward, whereas volunteers on cannabis only chose the high effort option 42% of the time, end quote. So that's your finding. Your finding is that people that aren't high, it's a 50-50 chance whether they're going to do the, the 30 keystrokes or the 100 keystrokes for either 67 cents or 268, right? 50-50 shot. So no better than random. But in the case of the, cannab- the people that were actively high, they were 8% more likely to pick the lazy option, what they're considering the lazy option, pressing 
the button 30 times. What this measures to me isn't a measurement of motivation. It's a measurement of being high telling you and cannabis telling you that what they're asking you to do isn't worth the fucking effort to quote uh, Bill Hicks. Cannabis doesn't make you lazy. It makes you realize that some of this meaningless, mindless work you're being given is crushing your soul and isn't worth the effort. That's all this has proven to me. Now, the second part of the study, the second part, they took 20 people, which the uh, researchers say were addicted to cannabis, (laughs) cannabis dependent. Let's just say they were daily cannabis consumers, took 20, 20 of us, 20 of us tokers, And then they took 20 controls, people who weren't tokers, and they weren't allowed to consume any alcohol or drugs for 12 hours before the study. Then they had those people do the same task, the either 30 presses with the pinky finger or the 100 presses with the pinky finger. And what they found is that the tokers were no less likely than the sober people, the squares, to pick either task. There was no difference. There's no measurable difference between the two of them. Now, of course, uh, the caveat they give is, again, much more research is needed to fully understand the relationship between long-term cannabis use and possible amotivational deficits. So again, they they cannot accept that something good about pot use came out of their research. They went into this, I'll tell you, they went into this expecting, ah, we're going we're gonna to find it for sure now. Everybody knows that cannabis use makes you lazy. We'll do this little key press study. By God, it'll show them. And they found out they were wrong. They found out what you and I know, that when we're not high, cannabis consumers are just like everybody else. Pot doesn't have a long-term effect on motivation, on cognition, on lung health, on cardiovascular health. They just can't deal with it when something good comes out. They always have to put those caveats. Oh, well, now this, sure, this looks good about cannabis, but you know, it's just one study. We're going to have to keep looking. Oh, and by the way, did you know when you're high, you're really lazy? Yeah, we only needed one study. You know, when when something we found that we like, we, we only need that one study. This is, uh, yet again, another example of how even, even scientists who should know better, even scientists that shouldn't be bringing these biases into their studies and research, can't help but be affected by 80 years of anti-cannabis propaganda. So I would like to see more of the media out that please... Please, media outlets, highlight that part of the study that says, hey, even us long-term, daily, chronic, wake-and-bake potheads aren't lazy, aren't less motivated. And really, you want to you make this a real test of whether someone's motivated. Don't be offering them, you know, 67 cents or $2.68 for these tasks. Put some skin in the game. Make this worth something to people. $2.68 won't even get you lunch. You set those people in that uh, experiment where the 30 key presses gets them, say, 2 bucks, and the 100 key presses gets them 20 bucks. 
Then come back and tell me how well the people who are currently high are doing. $2.68 won't even buy you a gram of weed. Not even in Washington State where the prices are the cheapest. This study to me doesn't really tell us much of anything because the tasks and, and, and the reward for those tasks are so minuscule that it's easy to dismiss the, the people who are high not working as hard because why should they? What, they're not really getting much of a reward. All you're doing is killing their high by making them press the space bar a hundred times with their pinky finger. All right, we're going to take another break. Come back around two minutes and we'll talk some more on the latest news of the day, which is the Drug Enforcement Administration deciding that Kratom, an herb from Southeast Asia, is a deadly, dangerous Schedule 1 drug with no medical value, a high potential for abuse, and no safe, accepted use in the United States. Face it, folks, the DEA just don't like plants. Stay tuned. We're right back after this. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. PhD in THC monetization with CannabisRadio.com. Don't be late. The cannabis industry is growing. Business is booming. And as new opportunities arise in newly legalized states, each market is getting more competitive. Today, it takes more than just being a good grower. Do you have the resources to market and handle this ever-changing business landscape? Let Canna Management Corporation help you grow your canna business with our vast resources and experience to make your business a fully functional service company. Financial management, HR, sales, marketing, efficiency, and more. CMC has the experience and the expertise to improve your business and help you better meet the demands of your clients and customers. Call Canna Management Corporation and let our team get you ready to grow. 415-269-8015. That's 415-269-8015. Or visit canna-management.com. Tommy Chong is ready to cut through the smoke and change the tone of Tilk Radio. All you have to do is decriminalize. We don't need a government regulation to tell us this is good plot, that's bad plot. We don't need any of that. The Tommy Chung Podcast, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome to my world. The Russ Belleville Show. Chat is for friends 18 and older. We expect our chat to be civil, mature, and free from excessive profanity. 
If you don't like these rules, there are approximately 6 billion other chat rooms with lower standards that you can visit. Don't want to spend money on a night out, but don't know what to do other than watching TV or playing video games? Consider playing guitar, bass, banjo, or mandolin. The instrument will give you hours of entertainment with friends with minimal expense. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension, downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today, or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Warning, hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. Or at least they pay me to say that. This is Dan Michaels from danmichaelsaudio.com. And you're listening to Radical Russ on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everyone. 39 after the hour. Glad to have you here on this beautiful Tuesday. Although it's getting uh, kind of fall-like here in Portland. Lots of heavy gray clouds. Upper 60s, lower 70s. Misty drizzly all day. Welcome back, Portland. <laughs> Glad to have it. All right, so uh, this latest story uh, comes to us from uh, Jacob Sullum, our friend out at Reason.com. And it has to do with the herbal substance called Kratom. K-R-A-T-O-M. Maybe it's Kratom. I don't know, but I'm going to call it Kratom. And it has to do with this herbal sub, this herbal substance that uh, has been appearing in head shops for the past year or so and has been an unregulated, unscheduled substance. Well, at the end of this month, Kratom is added to the DEA's Schedule 1 drug list. And according to the DEA, they have to ban it because, quote, we need to avoid an imminent hazard to public safety, end quote. An imminent hazard to human safety, to public safety. Because I know you've been reading all of these headlines lately about Kratom overdoses and the Kratom epidemic, and how people are addicted to Kratom and there's deaths occurring state by state because of Kratom, right? You've, you've heard all that, right? Right? No? Yeah, me neither. I haven't heard a damn thing about Kratom. I, I barely know that Kratom exists because driving around, you see head shops here in, in Portland, and someone will have signs that'll say Kratom on them. You're like, oh, what's that? Well, what it is, is a pain-relieving leaf that's either a stimulant or a sedative. It depends on how much of it that you use. But uh, Kratom comes from a tree, not a not an herb like uh, cannabis does. Um, the tree is called Mitragyna speciosa, and you can only find this tree in Thailand, Malaysia, Indonesia, Myanmar, and Papua New Guinea. And it's hawked as a dietary supplement, an herbal medicine, a legal high. But what makes it very similar to cannabis is that people in the countries where this plant is native have been using it for centuries. They use it to as a, as a pain reliever to boost their work performance. 
And most interestingly, it's used to wean people off of opiate addiction. So once again, you know, like we have uh, natives in in various uh, countries that have used uh, cannabis for years, for centuries with no problems. We've got natives in in South America that have used uh, coca leaf to chew coca leaf at high altitudes with no problems. We have, now we have people in Southeast Asia that are using this kratom for centuries with no problems. But to the DEA, that's not enough. For the DEA, thousands of years of history of safe human use doesn't mean jack squat. Because if the FDA doesn't say it's a medicine, then by God, it's not a medicine. That's all the DEA cares about. Now, this uh, placement in Schedule 1 is an emergency temporary scheduling that they're doing it. They've got two years now to make it permanent, to make it a permanent Schedule 1 drug. And, and they probably will. But when they're doing this temporary scheduling, there's just three factors about the drug they have to consider. And what this temporary scheduling is for generally is for the uh, uh, what they call the, the, the designer drugs, right? When the, when the chemists tweak a molecule to make it legal and, and these things change so rapidly that if the DEA had to wait and go through their regular process, then they'd never be able to ban anything. So for this temporary Schedule 1 designation, they just have to consider three things. The substance's history and current pattern of abuse the scope, duration, and significance of abuse, and what, if any, risk there is to public health. Well, according to the DEA, this is easy for them to designate it a Schedule One drug because as far as they're concerned, all use of Kratom is abuse. Why? Because the FDA hasn't approved it. It's not a medicine. It's not a legitimate drug. That entire definition of relying on the FDA to declare something legal basically means that as far as the DEA is concerned, drugs must be banned until they're approved. That's really the way this works out, practically. Any new drug must be banned because it's never been approved. According to the DEA, quote, Kratom is abused for its ability to produce opioid-like effects Kratom is misused to treat self-treat chronic pain and opioid withdrawal symptoms with users reporting its effect to be comparable to prescription opioids, end quote. They, they, they're writing that as if it's a bad thing. <laughs> they're saying Kratom is something people use to self-treat chronic pain and opiate withdrawal. And that's bad, right? That's as far as the DA is concerned, that's a bad thing. What the hell are you doing using Kratom to treat your pain? Go to the doctor and get yourself some Oxycontin. What the hell are you doing using Kratom to get off opiates? By God, go to the doctor and get yourself some methadone. They also write, quote, Kratom is an increasingly popular drug of abuse and readily available on the recreational drug market in the United States, end quote. Okay, so what they're saying here is the fact that people are using it and have access to it means it's being abused. By definition, their, their description right there tells us if people like to use a drug, that's definition enough for abuse. 
which means, of course, there is no such thing as use as far as they're concerned. This is really problematic as we have such a problem in this country with opiates, the prescription kind and the non-prescription kind. According to the DEA, they say, quote, Kratom has a history of being used as an opium substitute in Southeast Asia, especially concerning reports note users have turned to Kratom as a replacement for other opioids such as heroin, end quote. I, I, it just blows your mind to even read these paragraphs and, and to think there are people at the DEA, uh, presumably with college educations, that think getting someone to switch off of heroin to an herb that's non-toxic is a bad thing. Well, if, if it's something heroin addicts like, it must be a bad drug. That's, that's really what their reasoning is. As Jacob Sullum writes, in other words, even using Kratom to reduce drug abuse is drug abuse. <laughs> it's just crazy. So um, they conclude then that um, the active ingredients in Kratom uh, have a high potential for abuse because that's the only use of Kratom is abuse. Isn't this sounding like the marijuana arguments we've been through? Doesn't this sound like what we just discussed in the past couple of weeks with the DEA refusing to reschedule cannabis? It's the same damn arguments we're getting from them. Now, according to the science, what we find is, of course, Kratom doesn't belong in Schedule 1. According to a journal article in Pharmacotherapy, Researchers at Loyola University Medical Center wrote, quote, serious toxicity is rare and usually involves relative, relatively high doses, more than 15 grams or co-ingestants. That would be like you're taking another drug along with it. Fatalities typically involve co-ingestants. Withdrawal has been described as less intense, but more protracted than with prescription opioids, end quote. So rarely does anyone die from Kratom. And when they do, it's because they took a massive dose, over 15 grams. Or because of a hazardous drug interaction with something else that they took. Here's another review. International Journal of Legal Medicine from 2015 says, quote, Kratom is considered minimally toxic. Of course, the research evaluating its toxic effects on humans is limited, most of its animal studies. But they say also, quote, withdrawal symptoms are generally non-existent to mild, even for heavy users. End quote. And in a couple of Florida counties, they note, quote, Kratom is not ready for regulation due to the lack of information demonstrating the substance as being unsafe or hazardous. End quote. Wouldn't that be a nice standard? Wouldn't that be a hell of a standard to actually determine, hey, does this drug really fuck people up? Does this drug really fuck up society? Oh, it does? Okay, now let's ban it. But no, to the DEA, oh my God, people like this drug. It must be banned. 
if people like a drug, we have to ban it. That's their mindset. This Kratom situation is the DEA standing on its prohibitionist, irrational illogic in the face of something that's relatively harmless compared to a lot of the prescription drugs out there, something that could be an alternative for people trying to quit heroin or other opiates. According to a program officer for an international health promotion organization in Thailand, his name is Pascal Tangue. He said, quote, there's never been a single death associated with Kratom. People have been chewing this for thousands of years with no cases of overdose, psychosis, murder, violent crime, never in all of recorded history, end quote. Now, the DEA claims that there's been, quote, numerous deaths, numerous deaths associated with Kratom, end quote. However, they don't list any deaths where Kratom was the only factor. They found a bunch where, the, again, the people had co-ingested some other drug. But they uh, found what they found, e- even, even with this, even finding the co-ingestants that led to death. You know how many deaths they found? How many deaths they found? 30. 30 on the whole planet over the course of centuries. Now, I don't know what your definition is of numerous is, but 30 over centuries is not that big a deal, especially when you consider alcohol kills 88,000 people a year. Heroin and opioids kill 28,000 a year. They only got even 110 cases per year of calls to poison control centers for people having a bad trip on Kratom. 110 per year. That's 0.004% of the 3 million calls poison control centers take every year. Once again, the DEA has made a mountain out of a molehill and made an illegal drug out of something that could be beneficial to humanity. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Forwarding the cause of legalization and research of the growing cannabis industry, one podcast at a time. The Cannabis Radio Network. (sighs) Cash? Sorry. I don't carry around cash, and I don't want to use the ATM and pay surcharges. You don't need to carry cash. Haven't you heard about PayQuick? Okay, tell me about PayQuick. It's the safe and easy way to pay. It works just like your debit card to securely pay for your purchase and gives you rewards points every time you use it. Nice. Pay quick. The safe and easy way to pay. P-A-Y-Q-W-I-C-K dot com. Georgia. Hi, this is Willie Nelson. Alcohol prohibition didn't work in the 1920s, and marijuana prohibition isn't working today. It's time we stopped arresting responsible marijuana smokers. It's the fair thing to do. For more information, contact Normal, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Call toll-free 888-67-NORML or visit their website at norml.org. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. 
Are you playing an acoustic guitar but want to be louder without an amp? Try a Resonator guitar. The fingerboard extension has National Resophonic and other resonators, square necks and round necks. Stop by the fingerboard extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Go wild hog in the woods. of us pirates we go on vacation to north dakota you know because they've got a town called argusville what are you smoking there boy this is dan michaels from danmichaelsaudio.com and you're listening to radical russ on cannabisradio.com all right, welcome back, everyone. We're just closing up shop here at the Russ Bell Show, getting ready to turn over the live stream to Stoner Jesus, who takes over at the top of the hour, live from Stoner Heaven, ready to save your stony soul. Check them out. Coming up next here on CannabisRadio.com or get the podcast at StonerJesus.net. All right, folks, uh, just winding things up like I mentioned and uh, want to make a... Uh, <laughs> I had a, a tweet come in because I, I sent a tweet out earlier. Happy 420 to Snowville, Utah. I've been doing my tweets now when it's 420 or 320 Pacific. Uh, I'll, I'll tweet out to some random city in uh, the mountain time zone for 320 and the Pacific time zone for 420. Today, I picked Snowville, Utah. So I had this, uh, this uh, follower on Twitter ask, are you in Utah today? We support you. Thanks kindly. Uh, no, <laughs> no, I'm not in Utah today. I have a very strict no Utah till legalization policy ever since I got busted in Snowville. But uh, thank you for the support out there in Utah. I do want to see you guys pass legalization, but I don't like your jails. <laughs> last time I last time I was in Utah trying to drive through Utah, your cops picked me up in Snowville and took me to the Box Elder County Jail in Brigham City, which means. I took the longest ride in a cop car you can take in Utah. <laughs> Box Elder County is like the lengthiest county in Utah. And I was on the far north end and the jail was on the far south end. All right. That sound means that it's time for us to close it up. Thanks for joining us. Time flies when you legalize. We'll be back tomorrow with more news and views you can use for the cannabis community. For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. Check out my writing on HighTimes.com and WeedNews.co. We love each and every one of you, some of you more than others, but all of you at least a little bit. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it.